Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's May 29th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Andy Ferguson of the Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining me after this uh, long holiday weekend, Andy. Always glad to be here, Charlie. Well, today is the big day at Starbucks. And before we dive into the rest of the news, I want to talk about this, uh, the story that you wrote, Reeducating the Baristas. You call this, uh, this this re-education day, and all Starbucks all across America, the company-owned stores, they're all closed. Is that correct? Everywhere you, you cannot get you know, the double mocha, latte, frappe, whatever they, they serve anywhere in America today? Is that uh, correct? Well, it, for, it, it's company-owned stores, which is about 8,000 stores. Of course, a lot of those are right across the street from each other. So, so. So we'll basically have the, this reprogramming, re-education effort for about 175,000 baristas and other employees in a single afternoon. This all comes uh, after uh, two African-American gentlemen were um, arrested for sitting at a Starbucks and not ordering anything. And uh, Starbucks decided that, that this was the occasion to re-educate everybody in Starbucks. Okay, so Andy, some people are going to think, well, this is a good thing. This is a celebration of diversity and that you are insufficiently woke. I do not am. understand why this is necessary. I think so. We, are you insufficiently woke? We can finally reveal uh, to the listeners that yes, I am insufficiently woke. <laughs> I'm sure that will come as a shock to anybody who's ever met me. But, um, well, there, there, there's a couple of problems here. One is um, that diversity training. Uh, which is supposedly pinned down by the finest social science and, um, uh, you know, it's been tested and studied and so on, really has uh, been shown not to have any effect on anyone for more than a day or two. It, um, there's no evidence that somebody who goes through diversity training will alter his or her behavior over time. Uh, it generally gives credence to one of the uh, great principles of social science, which is that we are all racist, even if we don't say anything racist or behave in a racist way, because we are all suffering from implicit racism. Well, I mean, there's clearly a racist problem, isn't there? And and, and also, in, in terms of changing attitudes towards bias, obviously, there has been a, a rather significant shift in the attitudes of many Americans over the last uh, several decades. So, Minds can be changed. Attitudes can be changed. Why? What? What? What is the harm of bringing in the diversity trainers to uh, to turn around attitudes at Starbucks? Well, first off, you know what you're describing is undeniably true. I mean, my God, in my lifetime, it's probably the greatest social step forward um, that I've seen uh, in the United States. It's, it's the the elimination of explicit. Racism, institutional racism, legal, legally sanctioned racism, um, and you know even interpersonal racism. I think has uh, been shown to be in decline and has been in decline for forty years. What they're talking about is something else. They're talking about implicit racism, which is something that you don't even know you have. And in fact, even the people who are targets, if that's quite the word, or who are victims of your implicit racism may not even recognize that they are being victimized by your implicit racism. So basically what this is going to do is it's, it's basically a way for a lot of people to make a lot of money on, based on very bogus social science and 
you know, it's just sort of stir the pot. One of the things that some of the studies have shown is that even though the implicit or the, the targeting of implicit racism in the diversity training um, programs may not eliminate racist behavior or even affect behavior one way or the other, it can actually induce feelings of resentment and even victimization in the people who are made to take it. Now, in, in, in your in, in your piece, you, you walk through the growth of this industry, and it is a huge and thriving industry, the, the diversity training. And it appears, at least, and you tell me whether I, I get this wrong, that um, um, corporate America has embraced this, not necessarily because they think it will necessarily turn things around, but as a form of self-defense, so that if you're a major company – um, and you are worried about being sued for discrimination or um, unconscious bias. One of your defenses is the fact that you spent an awful lot of money on one of these diversity co- uh, efforts in these corporations. Yeah, that's actually happened a couple of times. There was a huge um, class action suit of thousands and thousands of people, I think, uh, gender discrimination against um, Walmart, and the Supreme Court rejected the um, – the suit went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court rejected it because um, Walmart. One of the reasons was Walmart had a, a very explicit policy against or, or in favor of diversity and gender diversity and racial diversity, and even had given training to many of its employees. So they escaped a tremendously incapacitating, I would imagine, uh, summary judgment of huge amounts of cash. Uh, simply by saying, hey, look, 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 we hired these diversity trainers, and they came in, so we're okay, right? Uh, so it's a, it's actually a rational decision then by businessmen, right? Oh, and sure, you, sure. You, 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 you quote these psychologists from the Harvard Business Review, you quote it saying, currently, diversity initiatives' strongest accomplishment may actually be protecting the organization from litigation, not protecting the interests of underrepresented groups. But if you're a CEO and somebody says, hey, if we you know, write out a check to a million dollars to this, this diversity group, we might shield ourselves from, from a judgment that might be 10 times that high. Oh, absolutely. Rational. And it, it, you know, it's, it's a rational business move in that sense. What it isn't is what it says it is. It isn't really uh, something that will um, lessen the amount of racism in the world or the, lessen the amount of racism in your uh, workplace, assuming that your workplace has racism in it. Um, the other aspect of this, I mean, the, the, the real effective part of diversity training is to shield these, these companies from uh, discrimination litigation. Uh, the other one is that it makes a lot of people a lot of money. The diversity training industry, as you say, is I think it's Time Magazine estimated it at $8 billion. Um, and that's a lot of money uh, rolling around for a profession, if you want to call it that, or a trade that really has no means of certification. It has no agreed upon training for the trainers. It's basically just a do-it-yourself kind of thing. You hang out your shingle and you say, I'm a diversity trainer, and there are packets of information you can get online. You can download videos and stuff like that, and you just sort of declare yourself a diversity trainer and make a pitch to the HR department in some company, and you get hired, and you can make a lot of money. All right. Well, well, well tell me about uh, the, the, the test, the test that determines whether or not you have this this implicit unconscious bias and racism. Well, uh, yeah, it's it. The whole implicit racism um, uh, idea is based on the implicit assessment test, the IAT, which millions and millions of people have have taken. 
Um, it's been around now for well, well over a decade. Uh, and it, it, is, it is alleged that the IAT, which is a computer-based kind of thing, you have to react to pictures and associate them with words on, a, on the keyboard, um, is somehow, it's never explained how, uh, reveals your own implicit racism, or in many other cases, all kinds of implicit feelings that you may have. But the big application for it has been in gender and race discrimination. And once again, the science is terrible. There isn't really any science involved in it. Um, they can't show, again, how uh, whatever, whatever they are judging to exist through the IAT uh, actually affects the behavior of people. Uh, they're not even sure that it that of, of the mechanism by which the, the, the test reflects internal unexpressed feelings that people can have. It's basically a mess. And, but it, again, it's extremely valuable to hustlers who want to go out and um, make a uh, so they're, amount they're of money. So inve they're invested in this test. Right. This is the edifice upon which all of this is built. Yes. That, that's, yeah, I think that's fair to say. And, and you know, it serves ideological ends, too. It's, it's always important when you see some journalists talking about studies show or, you know, new research reveals and it's some sort of um, grand declaration from sociology or economics or something like that, that these, these are fields, the social psychology, most of social science, sociology, that are steeped in left-wing ideology. Um, there are hardly any Republicans or conservatives or even moderates uh, who are at work in this field. And they all kind of – and it, it's not necessarily through bad motives, I don't think. I don't want to motive monger anybody. But it's, it is it's part of the water that they swim in, the, this ideology that they, that they uh, all believe in. And it, it sort of would not occur to them to say, you know what, the – I know you want to think that everybody is a racist deep down and that these feelings that we have are really coming out and hurting people all the time. But, you know, it may not be true. And your experiment that you say proves it probably isn't very well put together. But as you, as you point out, the staying power rests on something real that, that we, we all know we're subject – and reading from your article, we are subject to feelings we don't understand. We're often the worst judges of our own behavior. And it took social science to grab this universal and relatively harmless intuition and weaponize it for the warriors of social justice because it, it sort of rings true that we kind of all kind of know that we have stuff going on inside that we don't we, – you know, can't fully – that we can't uh, fully grasp. Yeah, sure, and and that I think is one of almost a sinister kind of aspect of this is there 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 is enough truth in what they're doing um, that it that it suggests plausibility to to people, and but they are putting it to extremes and to ends that really aren't to the benefit of anybody. Okay, so what happens later this afternoon? You have 175,000 baristas who are going to, you know, go into um, hotel ballrooms uh, with diversity trainers. Um, what, what, what does, what, what do you think Starbucks hopes will happen? And what do you, what do you envision happening? And well, the result of it? They've been very um, uh, played their cards very close to the vest in this. They haven't really up leading up to the uh, as a week before at least. Uh, they had not released any kind of 
curriculum, as they call it, for the diversity training programs that all these people are going to be subjected to. Probably they'll take the IAT. They'll probably have laptops or something where they can all uh, find out about their inner racism. Um, and then usually what they do is they have things like role-playing. Um, sometimes you just have to watch a video. It's as painless as just watching a video with somebody making a lot of dubious claims. Uh, and then it's over. And, you know, everybody goes back to where they were before. And um, Starbucks is going to be out a lot of money. And diversity trainers are going to make a lot of money. And you may have some very dissatisfied um, partners, as they call them in, at Starbucks, employees, because they had to take this day for a really pointless exercise. All right, well, let's just go back to the beginning of all of this. So th- there's there's two uh, black men who are sitting in a Starbucks in Philadelphia, and they're not ordering anything. And so- somebody at, at Starbucks basically says, look, um, you'll have to leave uh, if you don't order anything. And they say, we're waiting for somebody um, you know, to meet somebody. Uh, this person then calls 911. The police come and they end up arresting these two guys for being at Starbucks. Now, here's my question about the whole issue of bias. If it was two guys that look like you and me, two older white guys sitting there, would it have played out the same way? Woman comes up to us, says you haven't ordered you know any any you know cappuccino or whatever. We say, hey, we're waiting for somebody. Um, we we have a meeting here. Do you think they would have called 911? on two guys who look like Andy Ferguson and Charlie Sykes? I think the odds are that we, we would we would uh, get off scot-free. But it again, it's a situational thing. I mean, I, I don't know what the experience of that manager had been. Um, I'm quite willing to believe he's like the grand legal of the KKK. Or he might just be a guy who had had a bad day and was kind of ticked off about something or other and, you know, just... Got, went overboard. Um, we don't know. The mm-hmm. idea that the guy did it purely out of his own implicit or explicit racism just, I think, is unfair to whoever the manager is. Nobody knows. Uh, and also just it doesn't really reflect the way human relations play out. Yeah, and that's also then the reaction. So you're, you're willing to stipulate that it's possible that this person called the cops on, on two black guys who wouldn't have called it Absolutely. on two white guys. But then how do you get to the re-education camp today with 175,000 that therefore because this one guy made this decision of you know questionable questionable motivation therefore let's assume that that we have this epidemic of unconscious bias implicit racism that is so endemic in the, the workforce of of Starbucks that we have to have something like today yeah you know i was talking to a friend about this is you know he said um of all the places where you think you would find implicit racism, I would think that Starbucks employees would be the last place where you would find it. You know, they're they're mostly millennials. They're they're as woke as can be. Um, it's a it's a highly diverse uh, workforce. And you know, if they think that 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 this is a workforce that is absolutely shot through with implicit racism, then they all need to be reprogrammed. Um, man, imagine what they think about. I don't know, Sears Roebuck or somewhere else. It's just, it's, it's Walmart. Walmart. It's, it's a very, very weird uh, test case to make. 
But in the, in some ways, it's an interesting point. So in in some ways, though, Starbucks becomes more vulnerable because of its its uh, its customer base that they might be more willing to react if, in fact, this became a a, a you know a, a, a lightning rod. You know, if the if Black Lives Matter begin having you know the social justice warriors begin showing up at Starbucks all over the country, the kind of people that shop and work at Starbucks might be more susceptible. Um, to being outraged about this. Well, that's entirely possible. And in fact, remember, the uh, Starbucks all over the countries were marched on in, in uh, many different places. Um, and they, you know, that's one of the things that goaded the CEO um, to make this elaborate gesture of closing all 8,000 stores and putting everybody in a re-education camp for an afternoon. So basically, you think that whatever good they accomplish later today, it will what? It'll be a, you know maybe change behaviors for what a week, yeah. two weeks? No, I, I don't think there's any evidence that it goes that far. I mean, as I say, the 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 actual studies show very minimal effect, if any, and the the effect doesn't last more than forty eight hours. Yeah, but, and, you, but the but the effect of virtue signaling can last much longer. Well, right, and, and of course, as we, we said, it's a business decision. It's quite smart. Andy Ferguson, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, the article is "Reeducating the Baristas." You can find it at the Weekly Standard. And again, thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back again tomorrow, and we will do this all over again. <laughs>